live the way you're calling us to live according to your purpose and according to your glory. We give you praise and we give you thanks in the mighty and the matchless name of Jesus. We do pray. Amen. Guys, help us welcome the online audience. So if you could give them a hand clap, give God a hand clap. We're so glad. Can you believe it? If you've never read all the way through the Bible, you know you're over halfway through the first book of the Bible, which is a pretty long book, about 50, 50 chapters. We're going all the way through Genesis, and we are in chapter what? 30. Somebody say, I made it. You've made it a long way. And it's all predicated, as we've talked about, about Genesis 3.15. And, and that what's that word? The promise what? Seed. The promised seed that mankind has fallen and God has already had a redemptive plan to bring mankind back to himself. So our storyline is a love letter of God bringing us back to himself. So we started Genesis 3.15 and he says, and I will put enmity, Satan, between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. And you will strike his heel, but he will crush your head. In other words, you may cause him an irritation. You may cause him some pain, but ultimately he's going to give a fatal blow to you. Because if you strike somebody on the heel, it may hurt, but they'll keep walking. If you crush their head, it's over with. <laughs> and what he's saying is I have a seed that's coming down through these generations, through a chosen people that I'm going to create, that is going to crush your head, that is going to defeat sin, death, hell, and the grave forevermore. And that's what this is all about. And so we see that as man has gone eastward and gone further away, when you go east, you go where? Further away from God. That man has gone farther and farther away from God to the point where the scripture said that it was at to the point that every device of man's heart was evil. How long? All the time. That means that every time he thought a thought, it was what? Wicked. It was evil. He couldn't think a good thought. It, it, evilness was in him. And I, I, I know that we think about our times today. Oftentimes, and as we think about them, we think, could there ever be a more perverse or more wicked time than the time that we live in now, uh, than the things that are going on with us uh, socially, where it's okay to kill unborn children or where we try to teach our children to celebrate those things that God ab absolutely does not want them to celebrate. Um, it's a wicked time, but apparently it was a little bit more wicked at that time because God said the only way that I want to do this is I want to get rid of everybody except for one family. And he started over with Noah and he made a covenant with Noah. And at Genesis chapter nine, he says, never again will I what? Flood the earth. I won't flood the earth. I'm going to come back and I'm going to destroy it again, but I won't use water. I'm going to use a different element next time. I'll use fire. Fire works a little bit better than water. And, and so he decides to make his covenant with Noah. Noah's not that far off of the boat before he gets drunk and already is already into some trouble. And then we see from Noah comes three sons who are who? Ham, Shem, and Japheth. Ham is the uh, father of the Hamitic people. And, and, and things like that. Uh, Shem is the father of where the bloodline is going to come through through Jesus, which are the Semites, uh, the Jewish people. Um, that's where you get the name from, Semite, Semite. They are descendants of Shem and Japheth, where we get our European brothers and sisters who, who are fair here. 
pew and ham from northern Africa and those areas in those regions. All of those people come from those three people. You can almost look at Noah like another Adam almost, but he is not the second Adam. The Bible calls Jesus the second Adam. And so we see from those people that the whole world is repopulated. And as we go down, we find a person in the land of Ur, not in the land of Ur, but in, in the land of the Chaldeans. And what is his name? It starts with the A. Abraham. At the time, his name is Abram, and his father worships the moon. His father, Nahum, worships the moon. He comes from a paganistic society, and God says, get from among your kindred and your people in this place and go to a land that I will what? Show you, and I will make you a great and a powerful nation. I will make you the father of many nations. And we watch the life story of Abraham as Abraham uh, was allowed to be blessed by God through his imperfections. One of the most encouraging things I I like about Abraham is how imperfect he was. Why is that? Because many people don't come to Christ because they feel like once I come to Christ, I can never make a mistake. I can never mess up. But here's the thing. There are no perfect people. Everybody said there are no perfect people. We are made perfect through the blood of Jesus Christ. We are made righteous through, through uh, his propitiation for our sins. Um, but at the end of the day, we're fallible human beings and we make mistakes. And isn't it amazing to know that if uh, the Bible says if we confess our sins, God is what? Faithful and just to forgive and he will cleanse us from all what? Unrighteousness. He's not asking that you be perfect, but he's asking that you make progress. You don't even have to work for your salvation. He's giving you your salvation. But because we are saved, we work, uh, we work to please him. Not be, We don't work to get saved, but because we're saved, we what? Work. And we're looking at his salvific plan where he is giving the plan of salvation that salvation is going to come through Jesus. And so we've seen Abraham. We've now seen Isaac. And we've seen all the Jerry Springer drama that came from Isaac's family through Jacob and Esau and mama turning on you and lying on you and daddy taking favorites. And now the son wants to kill the brother. I don't know any siblings that wants to kill their siblings or wants to be into it like that. Do you? But at the end of the day, we see all these things. And if you have siblings, you probably are that person. But at this time, we see that Jacob has begun to be a deceiver and he has had to flee for his life. And in fleeing for his life and all the deception, it's no fun, we said, when the rabbits got the gun, that he has met up with his uncle Laban. And his uncle Laban has decided to trick him. For Jacob wanted to marry Rachel, who was a beautiful woman from head to toe, who happened to have an older sister that uh, he got tricked into marrying. He worked 14 years for both women, and that's where we pick up now that Jacob has gotten the taste of his own medicine. We are seeing the maturation process of Jacob. I remember when I was young, my mama used to say a phrase all the time, and I couldn't just figure out what she was saying. She would say, just keep living. Every time I come with my educated ways and the, the ways I do things, and mama, this is how things are done in the world, mama would just say, just keep living. And as I've gotten a little older, I realized something, that life has a way of teaching you things that books never can. And that life has begun to teach hardness to Jacob, that that trickster in him and those things are beginning to be broken down. He's seeing that whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also what? Reap. 
You can't do wrong to people and expect good to happen to you all the time. Now, God is sovereign. We are not saying that that only good things will happen to you when you follow Jesus and only bad things happen to you when you follow the devil. But we do sow what we do reap what we what. So if you put in negative things and sow negative things in a relationship, you reap probably negative consequences. Those, those are the things. That's why the Bible says life and death are in the power of the tongue. It's not because we have created power in our tongue. That's false doctrine. False doctrine. That's new ageism um, that comes out of word of faith theology. We don't, uh, we don't f- hold to that. We hold to the true word of God. You can't speak things that are not the, as though they were. The Bible says to the God that does that. But what the proverb is saying is if you use your mouth for wrong, wrong's probably going to come back on you. If you say the wrong things to the wrong people, you may end up with a stake on your eye. That if you use your words the wrong way, you may end up with another result. But if you use your words with sweetness and you use your words, as the Bible says, seasoned with salt, you may get a better result from what you're saying. And so we have seen Jacob is reaping what he has sown, and now he is living a life that's slightly different than what he anticipated because he had the woman that he loves, and he has the woman that he had to take to get to the woman that he loves. So let's go to Genesis chapter 30, starting at verse 1. Welcome all those of you who are online. If you're in the house and you're online, even if it's later, just type in, I'm in the house. Uh, We love to have you in this house, but if you're in another state, obviously, you have to be in your house. But we're welcome that you came with us in here to study today. Let's go to Genesis chapter 30, verse 1, and we'll read down a little ways. Let's read. When Rachel saw that she bore Jacob no children, she envied her sister. She said to Jacob, give me children or I shall die. Jacob's anger was kindled against Rachel, and he said, Am I in the place of God, who has withheld from you the fruit of the womb? Then he, she said, Here is my servant Bilhah. Go into her so that she may give birth on my behalf, that even I may have children through her. Now today we would call Bilhah a surrogate mother. They didn't have the technology to do the things we do today, but what we would call her is a surrogate. Is she stepping in in that culture as a surrogate mother just in an ungodly way? It's probably not the best practice to keep loaning your husband out to all these different people, but this is how they do it. This is Near Eastern culture. And so what she has seen is that Rachel has been spited, but because she has been spited, we talked about that a lot last time, that just because she's been spited, God has seen what's going on in her life and he has blessed her he has given her four boys already and we know that in the scripture that those boys are considered a blessing um, that she is very blessed to have those boys and that it is a curse not to have your children it is a curse not to be able to produce isn't it amazing in in their culture when God was blessing people that having a, a child was a blessing but now many people count it as a curse have you noticed that That they're running head over heels to have children, and we're running head over heels to kill them. I'm not going to stay there long because this is not where our topic is, but that's free. I just decided I I dropped that in. My, how the tables have what? Turned. So we look at this, and we see that she's going to give her servant to have children. And then when you go down to the scripture here, you will see the children that are born. And I'm going to stop where we need to stop, but for sake of time, we're going to go through some of these. Uh, let's start right at verse number 5. Let's start at Genesis chapter 30, verse 5. Let's re- proceed. 
ready, read. And Bilhah conceived and bore Jacob a son. Then Rachel said, God has judged me and has also heard my voice and given me a son. Therefore, she called his name Dan. Rachel's servant Bilhah conceived again and bore Jacob a second son. Then Rachel said, with mighty wrestlings, I have wrestled with my sister and prevailed. So she called his name Naphtali. So we're going to look at some things real quick. I want you to see uh, some things that Rachel addresses um, some things. And she addresses, number one, her barrenness with Jacob. And he responds in anger. Isn't that amazing that when we see Sarah, we see Rebecca, and we see Rachel, they're all what? Barren. So they want children. And each one of them handle it in a different way. Abram decides, or Abraham and Sarah decide to hire out Hagar, who is an Egyptian slave, and try to solve God's, uh, solve their problem their way instead of God's. And it comes back to have overarching consequences because to this day, Jews and Arabs are at each other's throats. There's a constant, there is a constant uh, fight between those people, and that's where their conflict comes from. So let's see, does Isaac learn from that? Isaac may learn from that, but we'll see that Jacob, uh, as, as he goes down, he doesn't do the same thing. It's almost as if Isaac saw what his parents did and said, you know what, I'm not going to do that. I know what kind of contention it caused with me and Ishmael and, and what, how tense it was between the two of us. I know that my father had all these children because most people uh, talk about the fact that Abraham had a child and he had a child at 100 years old. But Abraham, even past 100, had several more children, about six of them. So it, well into his hundreds and into his centennial, Abraham was still making babies. <laughs> Abraham was still producing, but when he did this, he had to, because he had all these broken families, he couldn't let them get the inheritance that his son did, so he had to send them away. He had to send them to another what, place uh, uh, and things like that. So as he sent them to another place and sent them away, um, we see the results of broken families because of the things that they have done in their culture and allowed the culture to affect how they behave. They have siblings that probably won't be around each other much because they can't cohabitate around each other because of the conflict because only one son can get the what? Promise. So Isaac, more than likely, as we see his line, Isaac seems to have a pretty quiet life. I think I would like to have Isaac's life. Isaac's life, his, his life seems pretty boring. You don't hear much about Isaac except until you get to Jacob and Esau. Seems like he lived a quiet and peaceful life, and that's what the Bible says we should do. Um, but his poor parenting along with his wife um, um, create the chasm between Jacob and Esau and also their personalities. And we see that when Isaac's wife is barren, who does Isaac talk to? He talks to who? God. He says, God, you can fix this problem. But now when his son comes into this problem, he takes the same problem and handles it a different way. Way. When you handle it a different way, you may get a different result, and you can see their attitude towards God. You can see where Isaac was spiritually then, and you can see the matriculation process for Jacob and his spirituality where he is now. Isaac entreated God and said, God, I, will you give my, uh, my wife uh, a son? And not only did he do that, but God gave him two. He gave him a bonus child. He gave him a bonus baby. But this time we see Jacob. Jacob's upset. Am I God? 
It's not my job. He's angry with her. And the reason she's desperate is because she knows it's considered a curse not to have a child. She's desperate. That's why she's saying with such passionate language, give me a child or I may die. And he's saying, am I God that I should do this? In other words, it's not my problem. Isn't this the woman that he loves so much? Do we see something in Jacob's demeanor that Jacob still hasn't got quite there yet? See, there are different levels to people who are, who are traveling with God. There are some people that they do have a miraculous conversion, and before you know it, they're living a godly life, and they never turn back. But some of us have stages. Everybody says stages. <laughs> we can be what Paul calls a carnal Christian. In other words, we don't get from there to here in 67 seconds. We're not a Tesla. We're more like a... a, a uh, probably like a chev a Chevette or something like that. It takes us a while to get to the end of the runway. In other words, it takes us a while spiritually to grow up. Paul looked at one of his churches and wrote them a letter and said, I would give you meat, but I can't give you the heavy, weightier things of God. Why? Because you're still on milk. I'm still trying to teach you how to love one another and how to not bicker with each other. I can't get into the weighty things of theology. I would give you meat, but you're not ready for that. So is there anybody in here who can, who can honestly say God is still working on me? I'm a work in progress that I haven't quite got there. I didn't, I didn't go from, from saved to floating in the air like Enoch. I still got some issues. My sisters used to sing a song, and it's a perfect song. It says, please be patient with me. God is not through with me yet. Because we have three processes to go through in life. The first process, if we come to Jesus, is called salvation. Everybody say salvation. We're saved from our sins. From there, we get to sanctification. Everybody says sanctification. We're saved from ourselves. <laughs> in other words, that the worldliness that's in us, God saves us from it. Different people have different theology on that. Some people call sanctification what they call the second work of grace. That's a miraculous work just like salvation. Some people teach it as a continual process. But as we get to that third one, we get to glorification. Everybody say glorification. Glorification is where Paul says, and this corruptible shall put on incorruptible, and this mortal shall put on immortality. In other words, that I'm saved, but I'm still in sinful flesh, but my soul is saved, and I'm sanctified or being sanctified through the process of sanctification. But one day, God's going to come back, and he's going to completely regenerate me. I'm going to have a new body, just like there's a new heaven and there's a new earth. God is going to do what he promised he would do. And so we see a shadow of this process with with Jacob a little bit that Jacob is going through some things we start to see him mature and you'll see it more in 31 but let's go down for sake of time he says that sure I hate to do this but since you said do it let's go ahead I'll go ahead with Bilhah and he has two children by Bilhah he has Dan and Naphtali now what's happening is and what looks to me that the problem is that Rachel already has Jacob's love and she knows she has Jacob's love but she's still envious of what her sister has. Have you ever met somebody who's never satisfied? That's always, if you get a raise, they got to get a raise. If you get a car, they have to get a car. If you get a house, they got to get a bigger house, even though they can't afford the house. It's always a competition. 
And that's what we're seeing here. Rachel, instead of saying, I've got the man that I love and the man that loves me, and you get to be second fiddle, but God turned it on his head that now the person that looks like they should be losing is actually winning because God is the one blessing them. Although she may have the favor of Jacob, Leah has the favor of God. And I've come to tell you that sometimes we need to stop seeking favor from people and start seeking favor from God because God can do in a few minutes what it will take other people lifetimes to do and he will make people bless you sometimes that can't stand you because the Bible says the heart of the king is in the hand of the Lord and he turns it like a water course. I've come to tell you that sometimes there are some people that might not can stand you and will come and tell you I don't even know why I'm doing this. I can't stand you but for some reason I can't get no peace until I give you what I'm supposed to give you or I do what I'm supposed to do for you. I say like Paul what say we then if God be for us who can be what? against us. We spend too much time worrying about who does not like us and who is against us and who's not in our corner. What we need to be concerned about is who is in our corner. And if God is in your corner, that you're living according to his purpose and his will, it doesn't matter if a thousand people don't like you. A thousand shall fall at thy side, 10,000 at thy right hand. It doesn't matter if other people don't like you. This is not a marathon. Life is not a sprint. It's a marathon. Yes, it's fleeting, but don't live your life trying to compare to what somebody else had. Because you don't know what it took to get what they got. Yes, you want a baby, Rachel, but you don't know what it's like to have labor pains with no anesthesia. You want what she have and you'll get it, but you know you don't realize she had to go through something to get that. She had to go through labor pains four different times. No epinephrine, no ice chips, no medical assistance, just a midwife and her pain. Her blessing came through her pain, and she's still envious of her sister. Always trying to get ahead. Apparently, we say in the uh, verse number, uh, the third question, although she favored Jacob, Rachel feels her sister's fertility is an enemy for her. It's not her sister that's the, the problem. I've come to tell you that some people, it's not you they don't like. It's the blessing of God on your life that they don't like. They can't stand that they hate you, but God keeps blessing you. They can't stand that they will, that they will look and want, want you to lose everything. And God still seems to keep blessing you because God decided he didn't want to consult them. I think of this, thank you, Holy Spirit, when uh, God, Jesus talks to Peter and he tells Peter what he's going to suffer and all these things that he says that other people are going to carry you around in old age and you're not going to go where you want. Basically, you're going to be a prisoner. And he looks at John and he said, well, what about him? In other words, if he got to go through that and Jesus looks at him and says, if I leave him, he'll tie return. What is that to you? Everybody says, stay in your lane. The problem we have in this country and everywhere else is because we're worried about everybody else's lane and stuff out. I'm not worried about what the rich man had. I'm happy with what God has given to what? Me. I don't want anything that doesn't belong to me. I want what God has for me. That's my fair share. My fair share isn't in your pocket unless God says that it's in your pocket. He does say in some instances that the wealth of the wicked is stored up for the just, but he determines that. He may determine that you never have a million dollars, but if you have his favor, you don't need money. We see all these sons. 
that Jacob is having. He's having sons, and we don't realize it yet if you haven't gone this far in the story, but these sons will later become the 12 tribes of Israel. That you will even see that the number 12 is all over, uh, all over the new heaven and the new earth, that you'll see 12, a number all the way through. We, you have to realize the significance of what you're looking at. God is working in imperfection. This is not a nuclear marriage with one man and one woman. This is Near East Coast customs and culture. It's not the godliest thing in the world, but God can pull some of the th best things in the world out of some things that are not so godly. He may not cause some things, but all things work together what? For the good. Well, my mom and my dad weren't married. You had nothing to do with how you got here. But at the end of the day, God can still use you. Ah. <laughs> Isn't that a blessing? And all, Leah has six sons and one daughter. Seven. Seven is the number of what? Perfection and completion. <laughs> she has seven children. Six sons and one daughter. And no matter how much her, her sister tries to compete and tries to keep up with her, she's still blessed. It gets to the point where at one point in time, as we go through this chapter, you see that Leah's womb stopped producing for a second. So Leah decides, I've already had mine. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to do what she did. I'm going to give my servant uh, over to him. And, I'm, and even her servant starts to produce. So out of the 12 sons... Uh, that, that come to Jacob, only four of them can be attributed to Rachel. Only really two, biologically. But if you count the two from her servant, four. Eight of them, guess where they come from? Rachel, uh, from Leah, or Leah's servant. And even in that, we see that there's contention all the time going on between them. Let's look down to Genesis chapter 30. Uh, we'll start in about four, chapter 14, uh, verse 14, Genesis 30, verse 14. Let's see if, the, if things are getting better, because I want you to think about something. They've had all these children. It takes at least nine months to have a what? Baby. A lot of times we read this stuff in succession like it happened overnight, but this is the process of time. This is taking years to transpire. It takes time to make babies. It takes time for babies to be born and to recover and make more children. So this has happened across the process of years. So let's see. And obviously we know it's been a while because one of her children is old enough to go off by himself, the oldest. So we're going to see him in verse 14. Let's read that. What does it say? In the days of wheat harvest, Reuben went and found some mandrakes in the field and brought them to his mother Leah. Then Rachel said to Leah, please give me some of your son's mandrakes. But she said to her, is it, it is a small matter that you've taken away my husband? Would you take away my son's mandrakes also? Now stop. Why are they arguing over mandrakes? Does anybody know what mandrakes are? They're a type of food. But it's not just the mandrake that's the problem. In the Near Eastern culture, do you know what they use mandrakes for? Close. Fertility. They use mandrakes for fertility. So they even got their children in this mess. Reuben's out, and Reuben's in on it too. Mama's going to always have more children. I'm bringing Mama Mandrake so she can have, have more kids, that she can be more bountiful. And Rachel's sitting here, and she's still bearing. And she says, will you please just give me some of your son's mandrakes? <laughs> in other words, I'm pitiful over here. 
I'm supposed to be the person with the upper hand. I've come to tell you just because people have big houses and big cars and land and all the stuff that it seems like the world may want, that still doesn't bring them happiness. Do you know that sometimes the people who have the most envy the people who have the least? Because I don't care what you have in your 401k, it cannot outgrow peace in your heart. How many times have you seen people that drive Bentleys and have plenty of money, but they have to come to a person who don't even have a car and say, pray for me? So she's asking for help from her sister, and her sister is taking the time to say, mm-mm, you, been, you rubbed it in that, uh, that Jacob, Jacob loved you more. He loved you more, but it looks like the storehouse is empty. Why, why I want to help you when you turned on me? This is, this is, this is a mess. The, the Bible is very interesting, isn't it? This is really funny. It's really entertaining when you read this because Leah should be the bigger person. But she's not going to be in this instance. And you see why. So this is the people are always striking bargains. Here's another bargain. Let's see what she says. Verse 15. But she said to her, is it a small matter that you've taken away my husband? Would you take away my son's mandrakes also, Rachel said? Then he may lie with you tonight in exchange for your son's mandrake. You give me the stuff for fertility. You've already had kids, and I'll let you go have pleasure with my husband, who's technically your husband first. You see the dynamic here? Why would anybody ever want to be a polygamist? This does not make sense. This is a lot of headaches that he has to deal with. But this is the culture. But isn't this crazy? She gives away the mandrakes to her sister that a cause for fertility doesn't have the mandrakes and goes into her husband. And then look at how she has to proposition her husband. Verse 16. Verse 16 says, what? When Jacob came from the field in the evening, Leah went out to meet him and said, what? You must come into me, for I have hired you with my son's mandrakes. So he lay with her that night. That's weird. But that's how it is. She has to bribe her own husband to have relations with her. In other words, he's not treating her very well, is he? At all. And God doesn't like it. Let me tell you something. When you mistreat people, God does not like it. And God will have the final say. That's why he says through James that true, true religion is taking care of widows and orphans. Taking care of those who are downtrodden and can't fend for themselves. God detested when people would go out and hurt innocent people. Some seven things, six things the Lord hates. Yea, some one that's detestable to him. One is hands that shed what? Innocent blood. How you handle innocent and defenseless people. Leah didn't ask for this. She doesn't have rights. She had to do what her father told her she had to do. And now because she did what her father has told her to do, she's in a life of misery. But the Lord keeps blessing her in the middle of her misery. And so this is the crazy part. He goes into her after she gave up the mandrakes, right? Let's read it. It says, you must come into me for I have hired you with my son's mandrake. So he lay with her that night. Watch irony. Verse 17, what does it say? And God listened to Leah and she conceived and bore Jacob a fifth son. She doesn't need the mandrake. She got God. 
She got the favor of God. She doesn't need mandrakes at all. Because when God decides to bless you, it doesn't matter what other people say. She's in the plan of God, and God has decided to do this. He's sovereign. Verse 18 says, Leah said, God has given me my wages because I gave my servant to my husband. So she called his name Issachar. Later on down through the Bible, you'll hear in the Exodus about the sons of Issachar, those who were able to determine the signs of the times and know what Israel ought to do. Um, kind of astronomer type people that were able to give Israel direction in certain seasons. Verse 19 says, and Leah conceived again. Again, no mandrakes, just God. Sometimes you don't need money if you got God. Sometimes you don't need resources if you got God. And what you need is purpose, and you need the purpose of God on your life. Find out what God has called you to do in your life. Seek him for your purpose. Walk in that purpose, and God will bless you in that purpose. He won't bless a fish on the sidewalk, but he'll bless him in the water. Because that's where he designed him to be. There are a lot of people that are trying to kick against the prick because they have designed in themselves how they want to live their lives. And God says, I know the plans I have for what you. This is what I've ordained for you to do, Leah. So it's going to happen because I'm sovereign. Let's keep going. She keeps having children. And she, he, finally, he goes through. And even the, oh, this is amazing. Even the maidservants who don't even have a bride price, Zilpah and Bilhah, all have children before God finally gives children to Rachel. Wow. He lets all of that go through before he finally lets her have what? Children. In this instance, in this chapter, she only has one. She'll have one later, but he's a significant child. His name is Joseph. Joseph will play a pivotal part in the next part of the history of Israel. So pay attention to him. God's blessing. So Joseph will play a pivotal part. And so will Levi, the priesthood for Leah and Judah, who will be, be the person that the seed of, of God comes down through the seed of David, who is Jesus. So now we look down and we're going to go down to chapter 20 of uh, verse 25. And for those questions, uh, mandrakes were thought to be connected to fertility. Verse 20 indicates that Jacob still does not honor Leah. So let's look at verse 25. Let's read it together. Ready? Let's read. As soon as Rachel had born Joseph, Jacob said to Laban, send me away that I might go to my own home and country. Give me my wives and my children for whom I have served you that I may go for, you know, the service that I have given you. But Laban said to him, if I have found favor in your sight, I have learned by divination that the Lord has blessed me because of you. Mm. Name your wages and I will give it. So it's time for Jacob to get ready to go back home. He's been there for years. We know at least 14 because it took 14 years to work off his debt for Rachel and Leah. And his children are older, so it's probably closer to 20 years or more. Close, around 20 years it's been that he's been working for his father-in-law. And his father-in-law has decided to search out why he's so wealthy. And he decided, you know what? Through divination, they used divination and sorcery in the, those days, different types of divination. And that divination revealed to him that it was because the blessing of God was on Jacob. 
had nothing to do with Jacob. It had everything to do with the blessing that was on him. That God had a purpose for him. And that blessing that he gave to Abraham, that get, went to Isaac, and now came, I will bless them that bless you, and I will curse them that curse you, and all the nations of the earth shall call you blessed. That's why, if I don't care if your children are 50, if you never bless your children, I, I implore you, go get some oil. Some, and, and, and lay your hands on your children and bless them and speak well of them and speak God over their life. Because that blessing will have effects even after you are gone. If your blessing is in the will of God, even when they are knucklehead, they'll still be blessed. Some of us think we, we, we got what we got because we're smart and we're savvy. No, you have what you have because mama prayed for you when you didn't have sense enough to pray for yourself. You think it's because you were slick enough to get out of trouble and slick enough to lie your way out that you didn't get in trouble. But the reason that you didn't get what you deserve is for God's mercy and somebody was praying for you and the blessing that they prayed over your life is still flowing down on you. You ought to thank God. That's why it's important to be thankful for the people that have come before you because those people pray over you. One of the things my mother always told me is she said, I always said that I could not raise my children by myself. So I said, Lord, these are your children and I'm going to give them back to you. And he's done a good job. Not because we were good people, but because he was a good God. Your children may not be where you want them to be in God, but today, bless your kids. Speak well of them of what you want to happen. Speak life into them. Uh, and not an incantation, but to speak well of them. Speak the blessings according to the will and the word of God over their life. Blessings are biblical. Everybody say blessings are biblical. <laughs> and so we, we see that Laban has figured out, well, the blessings on my life, and it's not really on me. It's because I'm connected to him. So if he goes away, that means the blessing goes with him. Do you not know that there are some people in life that don't like you for you? They like you for the benefits they get of being around you. Don't be naive. Everybody that's around you doesn't love you. You have a gift. You have something on your life that they need, and they're close to you to get it. Everybody wanted to be around Jesus, but Judas was around, and the Bible said, because he was a thief. And when people gave, Judas had a position where he could benefit from being around Jesus. Don't be so naive to think that everybody that want to be around you is around you because they love you. Some people are around you because they see what they can get out of you. And so Laban is going to decide to be Laban. He's going, he's going to try to do a little trickery. And so is Jacob, and we're about to see it. So let's see verse 27. Let's read that. What does it say? But Laban said, if I have found favor in your sight, I have learned by divination that the Lord blessed me because of you. Name your wages and I will give it. Jacob said to him, you yourself know how I've served you and how your livestock has fared with me. For you had little before I came and it has increased abundantly for the Lord has blessed you wherever I turn. But now, now wait a minute. At first, Jacob did everything on his own. He had to steal by hook or crook. He figured if I was going to be blessed, I had to what? Steal it. But this time, he gives credit for the blessing to who? God. Jacob is growing up, y'all. Jacob is starting to mature. 
He isn't completely where he needs to be yet, but we see in his language the way it's changing that he needs to do some other things in order to get the blessing God is going to have on his life. So he's going to make an agreement with him. He says, name your wages and I will get it. Jacob says, you yourself know how I have served you. I'm going to go down to verse 31 for a second time. Let's start at verse 31. What, let's read. He said, what shall I give you? Jacob said, you shall not give me anything. If you will do this for me, I will again pasture your flock and keep it. Let me pass through all your flock today, removing from it every speckled and spotted sheep and every black lamb and the spotted and speckled among the goats, and they shall be my wages. In other words, most people want the, the pure lambs. They don't want the spotted and speckled. Just give me the raggedy ones. I'll take the raggedy ones. So you know what? He, the, you take the nice press dollar bills, I take all the ones that are, that look like they come from questionable places. That's, that's what he's saying. And he's saying, you know what? I'll take that deal. So he takes that deal and he removes his, he removes the spot, in other words, so there can't be any funny business. And we see Jacob's growing, but he hasn't quite got there yet. And we'll see there in verse 37. I want us all to read that. Let's go to Genesis chapter 30, verse 27. Let's read that together. Uh, uh, verse 37. Let's read it and see what he says. Then Jacob took fresh sticks of poplar and almond and plane trees and peeled white streaks in them, exposing the white of the sticks. He set the sticks that he had peeled in front of the flocks in the troughs, that is the watering places where the flocks came to drink. And since they bred, uh, when, when they came to drink, the flocks bred in front of the sticks. And so the flocks brought forth stripes, speckled and spotted. And Jacob separated the lambs and set the faces of the flocks toward the stripes and all of the black in the flock of Laban. He put his own droves apart and did not put them with Laban's flock. Whenever the stronger flocks were breeding, Jacob would lay the sticks in the trough before the eyes of the flock that he may breed the sticks. In other words, when, when, when the stronger ones coming and the better ones coming, I'm going to make sure that I turn those spotted and I turn those uh, to my favor. In other words, he still haven't stopped his conniving, tricking the ways. He getting up. <laughs> He saved. He's that guy that saved that doesn't cuss like he used to. But he still, if you pick up a dollar bill on the ground and he saw somebody drop it, he doesn't hand it to him. He said, look how God has blessed me. That's that. He, he, he's on a progression. He hasn't quite got to where he needs to be. And, and what he's doing is actually a, a Near East practice, uh, a Near Eastern practice that uh, we don't see much today. Um, and so by placing those sticks there, that's actually a kind of divination. And we see later that God will kill people for divination and things like that. But he is doing something, a Near Eastern uh, practice called sympathetic magic. And sympathetic magic, in case you, didn't want, you wanted to know, is the attempt to supernaturally affect someone or something using its name or an object that represents it. So he wanted spotted and striped things. So he, when he saw the ones he wanted, he put spotted and striped sticks there to make it like that. And he thinks that's actually working. But we'll find out in another chapter. It's really because of what God did. But we still see Jacob being what? Jacob. <laughs> did you really think he was going to change all at once, y'all? <laughs> you got to give him time. Give him time. But we see these things, and we'll stop at verse 43. Let's read uh, verse 43 and see how it concludes today. What does it say? Thus the man increased greatly and had large flocks, female servants, and male servants, and camels, and donkeys. I want you to see something in a second. 
That question says, Laban seems to, uh, to take the deal as he seems to have the upper hand. However, God has the final say in our success. And Jacob and Leah have a common bond. They are slated to lose, but they come out on top. I want you to see something that when Abraham started, he wasn't nearly as rich as he was. But because of the blessing of God on his life, what ends up happening? Abraham becomes wealthy through what God blessed him. Isaac gets some of that wealth from his father, but Isaac has that blessing, and what does he do? He increases. We see that the blessing comes on Jacob's life, and although Jacob has an inheritance back home, he couldn't even come with anything because he has to flee for his life. He can't get it because his father's still living, so Jacob is essentially broke, and he comes there with nothing, and he, he leaves with everything. Sound familiar? Abraham comes in, and, and he lies about his wife, and next thing you know, he's leaving Egypt with extra spoils that God is going to hold to his promise. Now, would that work for every, everybody? No, it'll work for the people God wants it to work for. It's not a way to name it and claim it and blab it and grab it. I know we would love if we told you that would happen, and we probably have a whole bunch more people, but we got to tell you the truth, that it happens according to God's sovereign will and his, his sovereign authority. God, the Lord is in the heavens. He, he does every, whatever he pleases. But we don't chase riches. We, we chase the blessing. I want the blessing of God on my life. I want to be in the will of God. God resists the proud but gives grace to the what? Humble. So humility is a characteristic and a character trait that I should show. Because the Bible says this. The blessings of the Lord maketh rich. And he has no sorrow to him. A lot of times we come and we say, I got to escalate. I, this is the blessing of God. But what happens when the payment shows up in the insurance premium? Not so blessed. Look what the Lord has done. The Lord gave me a brand new house until you realize you got a brand new mortgage. Everything that looks like the blessing, some things don't come from God. Some things come from the enemy, and we, we do on our own to ourselves. But I've come to tell you, when God is in it, it adds no what? Sorrow. If all he gives you is a 720 square foot house, but you can go in it, you have peace, food to eat, clothes on your back, and peace, and that's the blessing of the Lord, be happy with it, because it brings no what? Sorrow. Because there's many people with plenty of money trying to struggle to keep it, and that's the last thing, that Jacob and Leah have a common bond. They are slated to lose, but they come out on top. And I want you to read this, and I didn't have them pull this up in the back, but it's Proverbs chapter 16, verse 33. You have it on your paper. So let's read that together. What does it say? The lot is cast into the lap, but it is every decision is from the Lord. I'm going to give it to you in plain English. Does everybody know what lots are? They cast lots for Jesus. Does anybody know what a lot is? Lots of dice. So I'm going to put it to you in plain English. Men, men throw the dice. But God determines where they land. Wow. That's literally what that means. You may go and have a job and do all these things and save up. Unfortunately, I work in retirement. Sometimes you can see people work all their lives to get a pension so they can live nice and peaceful, retire and be dead a year later. And all the stuff they set up for and the plans they made, that's why we talked about in James, if the Lord will. That we don't have the arrogance to say that this is going to happen when we decide it's going to happen. Because we can put together plans. It's good to plan, but you have to ultimately leave your plans to God because it's ultimately his will that's going to be what? 
done. The last scripture, what's that last scripture say? The heart of a man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. We see in this, and you keep hearing me say that word, because we don't talk about that much anymore. And we need to talk about that in Christendom today, which is the sovereignty of God. In other words, God is in control. God's hand is in control. We have a false sense of Christianity that, that is kind of creeped into Christianity where we treat God like a genie and we manipulate God to do what we want him to do. And we come up with all these formulas and these things. And you give me you give me fifty five dollars for Isaiah fifty five and a blessing is coming your way. Or come get this this type of blessed oil or if you do this or do this and this and do all these things, blessings are gonna come. But we have a sovereign God. If healing's gonna come, it's because he wills it. If it doesn't come, it's because he wills it. And we have to say, Blessed be the name of what? The Lord. We have to get back to pure biblical principles and back to the Bible. And, and, and in order to do that, sometimes we got to start back at the what? Beginning. That's the best place to start. Law of first mention. What happens in the, what is first mentioned generally is the thing that's going to carry out throughout the Bible. So we see some things, don't we? We see the love of God, right? Everybody said the love of God. We see the depravity of man. What does that mean? Somebody said, that's a big word. I don't know what that means. That means we're wicked, y'all. That's what it means. We're, we're wicked. Our thoughts are, if, if given the chance to do the right thing or the wrong thing, if we can get away with it and not get caught, nine times ten, human beings are going to do what? The wrong thing. Because the, the heart is wickedly what? Deceitful. And no man can know it. We also see the love and the redemption of God. Everybody say redemption. We see God's salvific plan, his plan of salvation. This is a soteriological study. In other words, what is soteriology? Soteriology is the study of salvation, how God works through down through the generations to save us. He goes through it. Do you see the extreme lengths God is going to? Working down through thousands of years. God is patient. But what he says he's going to do, he's going to what? Do. God is not a man that he should lie nor the son of man, that he should change his mind. If he said it, he will do it. What a wonderful lesson today. Amen. That God is sovereign. Everybody say sovereign. sovereign. Our God is in the heavens. He does whatever he pleases. Nothing happens on this earth unless God allows it to happen. It may not be what he, he it may not be what pleases him, but nothing happens unless he allows it. How do you know? Even Satan has to ask permission. What you doing, Satan? Oh, I'm hanging out on earth, going to and forth, seeing who I admire. Have you considered Job? Yeah, I would, but you won't let me get at him. You got a hedge around him. In other words, I can't do anything that you won't let me do. God is showing his sovereignty. That he's showing Satan who's boss. That although you thought that you would be in charge and you said I will set my throne above the high, uh, that of the Almighty, not only did I kick you out of heaven, but I make you come and visit and worship at my feet and get permission for whatever you do. You can't do anything unless I tell you you can do it. Why? Because our God is in the heavens and he does whatever he pleases, which is comforting now because we live in a time. I'm a financial advisor, so I talk to people all the time. If any time we've had a time of uncertainty where people are upset, see, we got away from God in America a lot of times. You know why? Because our 401ks were good. We have a lot of wealth in America. We put trust. We stopped saying in God we trust 
and started saying in crypto we trust, and in, in GM we trust, and in Google, and the Fang stocks we trust, and in the, in the bank we trust. And now we can't trust in none of that because it's all going down. In George Washington we trust. You need a lot of George Washington just to get a pack of bubble gum right now. In the power of America we trust. Our God is in the heavens. It is in this time when we are being humble. Thank you, Holy Spirit. If my people, which are called by my name, we prayed for that during the pandemic. Everybody was talking about that. If my people, it was a nice catchphrase. But how many really did it? We didn't humble ourselves because we still had money. We still had stimulus money, all sorts of things. But now, God says, guess what? It's not over. There's still famine in the land. There's still sickness. There's still economic downturn. You want to trust in your money? I'll show you how you can trust in your money. I'll make the stock market go down in just a minute, and that money will go. And what doesn't get there, guess what? I'll make it to where when you walk in the store to buy one, one Coca-Cola, it'll cost you $3. And you only make $15 an hour. Our God is in the heavens. It is time, I don't know who needs to hear this, but it's important for us to hear this. It's time for us. We say that all the time, but it's any time. We need to know it's time to come back to God. How much more does he have to warn us? For a while... For some of us, it was in Trump we trust. Yeah, I said it. For some, it's in Biden we trust. Well, which one is it for you, Pastor? Neither one. In God I trust. Our God is in the heavens. He does whatever he pleases. And we see his sovereignty at work as he works out his plan. Isn't this exciting stuff, y'all? Yes. Amazing what's in the Bible when we crack this bad boy open, isn't it? You just got to open it. Everybody say, open it, open it up. Any questions or any comments as we get ready, ready, ready to leave out? Huh? Yes? The second answer on the sheet. What is the second answer on the sheet? Somebody help her out. Jacob um, blames God instead of seeks God as his father did, as seeking God as his father did. Brother Bob, you had a comment? Will carry those staff. So that's even done even in his lifetime. He's given us a real life example. Yeah. And and I like that you brought that up because these are not fairy tales or stories. These are historical accounts as well of what actually happened. These are customs, some of them that are still done 
like he said, in, in the Near East and where he's from. Very good. Uh, well, uh, that's all our time today, and we're so thankful for your time. Uh, praise report. Uh, while we were praying for Jalis uh, and the church uh, that she has planted and hoping that Jalis would be home, Jalis is here. Jalis is back in Detroit. She touched down yesterday. Yes, Jalis is back home. Um, so you'll probably be seeing her soon. Of course, it's going to take some time to get acclimated and get things back together and get restarted. But we're grateful for the work that she has done. And she's excited because she said, I got to do something. Um, she went back to a place where people were drunk in the streets and doing all sorts of stuff. And now there's a culture in that village and that place where people want to go to church again. And there's revival in that area. So we're grateful for what God is doing through us. So everybody else, let's go to Detroit and y'all start some start, start some home ministries and start some start some work. Somebody go down to we definitely need it in, in downtown Detroit and Royal Oak uh, on the street corners. Who's gonna start the next ministry? Who's 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 doing it? Any takers? We got a taker right there. If, if, <laughs> hey, you never know. That's what it's about. It's about spreading the gospel, being salt and light. If you don't, if you say I'm not a great teacher, cheat. You can, you can cheat. You just had Bible study. Take the same Bible study you had on Wednesday. Open up a home Bible study on Thursday. Hand out these same sheets. You just heard the material, and you can go back and listen to it on Facebook, the website, or the podcast. You can be an aficionado by the time you get to Thursday and bring other people in that may not come to church, but they'll come to a house. Be salt and light. Praise God. It, and it works. So I'm going to pray. I'm going to bless, and I'm going to let you guys go. Um, that air came on in right on time. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Uh, praise from all creatures here below. We thank you, God, for all your blessings. We thank you for all your glory and all of your grace and what's been taught here today. And we pray in the name of Jesus, God, um, that your blessings will flow across this house, that your blessing will be with the youth as they go to camp this weekend, God, and with us here as we worship collectively together. And Lord, I pray that you bless this Bible study and this ministry. Help it to grow as we plan and we, we commit to teach your unadulterated word, God. No gimmicks, no tricks, just your word, God. We thank you for that. Um, God, the world so needs it right now so that somebody will have a beacon and a light and a point of clarity in the world. And we give you praise and thanks for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Somebody give God a hand clap.